0: Rainbows high and deep.
1: Touchdown, Wisconsin! And this game is underway with a bang! This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant
2: Bills. I don't know if everybody's been paying attention. I don't know if you've noticed, but... Major League Baseball playoffs, even without fans, they've kind of been awesome. They've kind of been amazing. Now that the Brewers have been eliminated and we don't have to worry about that terrible offense anymore, I've kind of just kicked back and tried to watch and enjoy a little bit of these other teams. These playoffs have been amazing. Even without the energy of fans in the stands, even without every pitch, you know, bringing fans to their feet, it's still been really, really fun, and and I think it kind of took me until last night to realize. We've been worried about the NFL The NBA Finals. We've been worried about all these other things going on, and I finally got a little bit of time to sit down and watch last night. Uh, Yeah, I can't wait to go home after work tonight and watch more. Fans may never know it because Rob Manfred is a doofus and Major League Baseball is a little old school, but baseball's got some really young, exciting players. Fernando Tatis, right players on the Rays and the Athletics, and I don't really want to talk about the Astros. I would rather not talk about the Astros, but I guess they have some young, exciting players as well. I'm excited to go home, watch Thursday Night Football tonight, but also watch the baseball playoffs. They're going on right now. I was watching a little bit earlier today. Miami was just Miami was just getting beaten to death by the Braves, so that was a little bit of a bummer. I wanted a competitive game there. I got Jesus Aguilar, Lewis Brinson, some former Brewers on that team, right? A little bit of a bummer to see the Braves beating up on them the way that they were. Let's talk about these baseball playoffs. Let's dig into them just a little bit. My name, Grant Bills. This is the Wisco Sports Show. Appreciate you tuning in. Hope you're having a great night. If you want to join the show, you absolutely can. You're more than welcome. Shoot me a text. 608-796-2558. That's the talk and text line. You can also tweet at me at Wisco Grant. You don't have to agree with me. Um, Sometimes it's fun to disagree. That's mostly what Twitter is for, actually. I, I don't know the last time I saw people agreeing on Twitter. That's not really the point. So if you want to argue, debate, or call me wrong, I would love that. Please, Wisco Grant on Twitter. You can follow and tweet at me there. With all the NFL games going on, and the Packers have been really good, right, and the NBA Finals are currently going on, I I haven't been able to watch as much playoff baseball as I'd like to. I I feel like I've missed out just a little bit because of everything else going on. Last night before I crashed, before I went to bed, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to turn on ESPN, which I never do, and I'm going to watch a little bit of baseball tonight. I'm going to watch Carl Ravich, Tim Kirchhen, some of the, like, the last... The last stand of Vintage Sports Center lives on Baseball Tonight. I don't really like how Sports Center is now. It's it's a completely different format. It used to be highlights, fast-paced, it used to be fun. Now it's it's round table, get your opinion, let's bring in this analyst, let's do this. Maria Taylor, Greenberg, it's uh, it's not my thing. I, I they're great at their job. Mike Greenberg's great at his job. Maria Taylor's great at her job. I I just whatever. I'd rather watch something else. Baseball Tonight with Carl Ravitch, who I have grown to adore this summer basically because he was so brutally honest and blunt, especially when interviewing the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. I became a big Carl Ravage fan. Tim Kirchner is just dorky, which I'm a huge fan of. I think sports needs a little bit of dorky. So I was watching some of the highlights last night as they were throwing it around from game to game and kind of getting caught up on some of these series. I'm not in on all of these series. I'm a little bit bored by the Marlins-Braves series just because it hasn't been that competitive. I'm all in on the Athletics-Astros series just because I want to see the Houston Astros lose more than I maybe have wanted anything in 2020. I'm cheering for the Rays because I want to see them get over the hump, and I also want to see the Yankees lose. Like Brewers fans, Twins fans, can we agree on that? We would both love to see the Yankees lose. And I also want to see the Padres win for two reasons. One, because I love the Padres, and they're super exciting to watch, and I want to keep that going. But I also wouldn't mind seeing the Dodgers lose. It's not a personal thing. It's a Los Angeles thing. They got more money. They have more resources, right? They can make the trades. They can hand out the contracts that other teams can't. So, like, screw you. You don't get to win it every year. And the Dodgers have, for whatever reason, they haven't been able to get over the hump and win it at all uh, in recent memory. So I'd love to keep that going. I think it's hilarious. If the Brewers can't win, well, at least the Dodgers can't win either. That's a good way to look at it. Yesterday, uh, the Padres ended up losing to the Dodgers, and that was the game I was locked in. Clayton Kershaw was, like, the fourth or fifth biggest story in this game, which is how you know it was a great game. That's how you know it was a wild game is that Clayton Kershaw, who is, do you think he's the most well-known player in baseball? I think Mike Trout is the best player in baseball, but Clayton Kershaw might be the the biggest household name in baseball. When he's the fourth or fifth biggest story in any given game, you know, it was a wild game and there was a lot going on. Clayton Kershaw gave up three runs in six innings last night. And, you know, I kind of laughed because I was like, all right, maybe Kershaw hasn't figured out his playoff woes. Maybe he's just not pitching against the Brewers. Like anybody can sit down, anybody can strike out 10 guys per outing if you're pitching against the Brewers. That offense is brutal. So it's been interesting to watch the Dodgers take this next step after beating up on the Brewers and, and pitch against an offense that has a lot of pop, the San Diego Padres offense. Kershaw allowed three runs in six innings, but the biggest play of the game came in the eighth inning when Fernando Tatis was at the plate. Padres are down two runs, one runner on. A home run gives San Diego the lead, and I'm sure you saw the highlight. This is what happened next. This is ball to deep center field. Bellinger twisted around. Still
1: going. He's
2: at the wall.
1: Oh, he it. And he made the kicks. Cody
0: Bellinger, a robbery
2: of Tatis. Cody Bellinger robbing another young superstar, Fernando Tatis, who might be my favorite player right now who's not on the Brewers. I, I cannot get enough of watching Fernando Tatis. It's a blast. I also like watching Manny Machado, but I know as Brewers fans, we're kind of collectively supposed to not like Manny Machado. So I'm trying to trying to remain loyal I'm sticking but this Padres team is so much fun I want them to win because I want to keep watching them I don't really want to watch the Braves and the Dodgers in the NLCS I don't want to watch the I don't want to watch the Braves at all can we just redo Padres Dodgers in the NLCS I think we can all agree we would much rather watch this series twice than watch the winner of the Marlins and the Braves I don't I, I other than Freddie Freeman and uh I don't know if I can name another player on the Braves and I've watched a couple of games is Aaron Nola still pitch for the Braves? I couldn't tell you. Mike Fulton-Evich, It seems like a player that who's at least played for the Braves recently. I don't know. I would rather watch Padres and Dodgers next round. I would just rather let's do it again. Let's run it back. And if the if the Dodgers win the first series, the Padres win the second, just play the third again for the World Series. I don't care. I'll watch these two teams play over and over and over again because it's so much fun. I mentioned Fernando Tatis, but Machado, I, Tommy Pham is a fun watch too, and Will Myers is a stick. That man hits a ton. And Jace Tingler, their manager, who's a first-year manager, which is kind of a theme with successful baseball teams, everything about him I like because he's everything cool about Tony La Russa without the crabby old man St. Louis Cardinals thing. He doesn't have any of that complex going on. Jace Tingler is just a a gruff, crabby old man who's not old like Tony La He's everything good about Tony La Russa without the crabby old man. He's just kind of crabby. He's without the old man, got the right amount of crabby, which I love, in a baseball manager, which is why... Personally, really like Ned Yost, too, even if his teams uh, at the end of his tenure in Milwaukee weren't the best. I want to see the Padres go, and I also want to see the Dodgers lose. Like, it would be entertaining to see Kershaw get a ring. I think that would be some nice closure. We kind of saw that with Ovechkin in the NHL two years ago. That was a nice moment for him to finally get over the hump. It would be kind of nice to see Clayton Kershaw get over the hump. By all accounts, he's a great dude. I I got nothing against him. But it's also kind of funny to see him keep tripping up and to see the Dodgers keep tripping up, too. But that's the small market fan in me. I have been watching the Padres and the Dodgers, but I've also been watching the Athletics play the Astros just out of spite for Houston and just to cheer against Houston. Which, by the way, speaking to Twins fans, mostly probably in our our lacrosse listening area on WKTY, thanks for absolutely nothing. Like, you had lost 16 straight postseason games coming into this year. And I'm like, you know what? I think they're going to have some good luck. I think they're going to have some good fortune because America needs this. We need to see the Astros lose. And what better team to do it than the Minnesota Twins? And no, you get swept. You can barely score any runs. So thanks for nothing, Minnesota Twins. I've been watching highlights every night of this Astros Athletic Series. And I, it blows me away because last night I'm watching baseball The night And I'm like, wait a minute. That guy cheated. That guy cheated. Oh, he got a hit. Oh, uh, cool. But he also cheated. Like, how are we supposed to celebrate these guys? El Tuve had three hits last night. Cheater. Alex Bregman had two hits last night. Cheater. Carlos Correa had a big hit, and now he's red hot. But he's a cheater, and he's the worst of all. Because for whatever reason, he won't own up to the fact that he cheated. He's still doubling down. You don't you don't know the full story. Get your facts right. Like, oh, we're a good team. What are you going to say about us now? Like, this is what he said after the Twins series. And come on, Twins. Like, you really let this guy beat you.
1: I know a lot of people are mad. I know a lot of people don't want to see us here. But what are they going to say now? You know, we're a solid team. We play great baseball. We won a series on the road in Minnesota. So what are they going to say now?
2: Let me address everything. Single question that Carlos Correa asked to nobody. What are we going to say now? We're going to call you a cheater and a liar and a prick because you're all three. Uh, You were a good team. No, you weren't. You are under 500 in the regular season. You wouldn't have made the postseason if it was a normal year. You beat a good team on the road. Well, first of all, target field with no fans is hardly a difficult road environment. And you beat the one postseason team that hasn't won a playoff game since, like, what? the, The first Bush administration? I don't even know. How long ago was it? Was it, like, 2002, 2001? I don't know off the top of my head. The Twins have lost 18 straight congratulations, you beat the one team that hasn't really won a playoff game in my lifetime. Oh, I hate the Astros so much. I, just, I want to see them lose. Because Carlos Correa, what are, they, what are you going to say about us now? We're going to say that you're a cheater because you still are. I don't care how many games you win. That I doesn't know a change. a lot
1: of people are mad. I know a lot of people don't want to see us here. But what are they going to say now? You're you a know, cheater. We're a solid team. We play no, you're not. We won a series on the road. Against the Twins. Minnesota. Doesn't count. No so fans. what are they going
2: to say now? We're going to say that you're a cheater and you suck and we hate you because all of it's true God, screw the Astros. How, why are they even allowed in the postseason? Why are they allowed into the postseason? And look, there is something to be said for owning the villain role. There is something to be said for just like taking it head on. LeBron did that in Miami, and weirdly enough, I think that was good for his career, even if it didn't really fit his personality. There is something entertaining for a team or for a player or a manager just like embracing the villain role. But the thing about the Astros is I can't even celebrate them embracing the, the villain role. Because they didn't have to overcome anything. When the Patriots won it in, what, 2014? 20, 20, no, 2017. When the Patriots won it in 2017, after Tom Brady had been suspended, like, okay, uh, wonderful. I guess that would have been a couple Super Bowls ago in 2014. When Tom Brady was suspended, at least they had to overcome that suspension. Right? The Patriots somewhat earned that. The Astros didn't get punished at all. So why are you going to flap your gums and, and, and talk smack? It was like, oh, what are you going to say now? What do you mean? You weren't punished. You didn't have to overcome anything. Yeah, you lost your manager, but, like, whatever. Your manager isn't the reason why you won. It was your great play. It was your superstars like Bregman, Altuve, and Carlos Correa, who turns out were cheating the entire time, right? And Garrett Cole could not get out of there fast enough. What are you going to say about us now? We're going to call you a cheater because that has not changed. You can go 162-0. We're still going to call you a cheater. God, that bothered me. I, I cut a little piece of CC Sabathia's podcast. With Ryan Rocco, because it's so funny. Like, CeCe Sabathia is becoming one of my favorite former players of any league just because he's now speaking his mind and his podcast is awesome. It's through the ringer. Uh, This was, I believe, from last week. Whenever the Astros beat the Twins, everything runs together in 2020. This was Sabathia's reaction to that Carlos Correa quote that we just heard. And it's funny because it's so brutally honest. They cheated and then they're mad at us. Like, get the f*** out of here. Right. It's a f***ing joke. And then you finish under 500 this year. Like, shut the f*** up. exactly man the the kid's a clown man I'm sorry sorry Carlos Gray you're mad at us you're talking smack at us dude you're the one who cheated you didn't get punished and and now you want to act like you've accomplished something you went under 500 and you got matched up against the one postseason team that is literally addicted to losing they can't get enough they love losing in the postseason so much they've done it 18 straight games you need to purposefully try to lose 18 straight postseason games and once again Twins fans especially here in our lacrosse uh, on our lacrosse affiliate WKTY I'm sorry I wanted the Twins to win. I'm not trying to talk smack, but, like, you really let the country down. I'm going to be honest. You really let the country down by letting the Astros win. That was a huge bummer. 18 straight postseason losses. And then you let this man get on the podium and talk smack like he accomplished anything, which he didn't. I loved in spring training, too, he was like, <laughs> I loved in spring training, He's like, get your facts right before you talk smack. And I obviously do a, a terrible Carlos Gray impression. Get your facts right before you talk smack. What facts? Like, the, Major League Baseball did an investigation it was one of your own players that blew the whistle. It's not like Deflate Gate, where there was some, like there was some gray area and exactly what happened. It's it's not like Rob Manfred punished you for the sake of punishing you, like Roger Goodell might have done with Brady. We'll never know. Major League Baseball didn't punish you at all. The whistle was blown on your own team by one of your own players. Get your facts right. Screw you, cheater. God, it just frustrates me. I want the Astros to lose so bad. I hope the Rays advance over the Yankees. And or, you know what. I'm not an American League fan. I'm not a Twins fan. If I was a Twins fan, I'd probably hate the Yankees. My hate is reserved for the Dodgers in the National League. I wouldn't mind seeing the Yankees just beat up on the Dodgers, or the, the, the Astros, excuse me, in the ALCS either. I'll, I'll take the, the Yankees. I'll take the Rays. One of those two teams, please advance and just just destroy. Just destroy Carlos Correa. And then every single one of them, while they're spraying champagne around in the locker room in the celebration, I want to see Garrett Cole, and well, probably not Garrett Cole because uh, <laughs> he was a member of the Astros, Everyone else in that locker room, I want nothing but smack talk, and I want you to call them out by name. Hey, Jose Altuve, you cheated and you ended up losing. You got what you deserve. Carlos Correa, you cheated. You lied about it. You were cocky about it. You lost. You get what you deserve. That's what I want out of the American League Championship Series because it looks like the Astros are going to advance over the Oakland days. Now, if they can force it to a game five, which in this instance is it. Well, no, they always play five five postseason games in the, in the DS, in the divisional round. So if they can get to a, an elimination game, in Game Five, it does line up where Mike Fires would be the starter, which would be incredible given that Mike Fires was the original whistleblower on the Astros cheating plan. Like, what was that a year a year ago or so? Every like I said, everything runs together in 2020. I have no concept of time. It feels like March 30th, but it also feels like December like 60th. Feels like we've lived through three years, but also we've only lived one week in this year. It's it's miserable. And I, I have no concept of time at all. All I know is I want to see the Padres win. I want to see the Astros lose. And I want to get some good games. I want to enjoy the postseason. That's all I'm looking to do. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. I'm lucky enough to be your host. Excited to talk about the Packers. We had to take a couple shots of the Vikings and the Bears, naturally. We gotta do that. If you want to join the show, you can shoot me a text. 608-796-2558. You can follow me on Twitter and tweet me at Wisco Grant as well. Covered a lot of ground today talking baseball playoffs, talking about the Astros and how we just hate the Astros are gonna they're gonna win. They're gonna go to the ALCS, and I I don't know why it's gonna keep me up tonight, but it will. It just bothers me. I wanna see Carlos Correa lose. I want to see Jose Altuve lose. It's just, that would make my week. And yet, I got to watch this team go to the ALCS. Whatever. Let's talk about the Packers. Packers were 4-0. Nobody can take that away from us. Not even the cheating Astros. Um, I I want to hear a little bit from Coach Matt LaFleur. He had some press availability on Tuesday, and he gave us some real gems. uh, and, And some real interesting things to talk about. Most notably, to begin the press conference, his young players. He was asked about some young defensive players, some undrafted guys, unproven guys. Especially in the secondary, but not only in the secondary, who have stepped up and, and started to make plays. This is Matt LaFleur's response.
0: Yeah, I was proud of those guys. That, like you mentioned a lot of guys went in different positions and you know, I thought for the most part did a pretty good job. There's obviously some things when you're when you're not getting those reps in practice that you have to get cleaned up, but I was proud of their effort. I thought they did a good job on the perimeter and and holding Two really good receivers uh, to limited production.
2: That's actually a really uninteresting answer. I, I don't have anything to say about that. I just wanted to use that answer as an excuse to talk about some of these young players on the defensive side of the ball. Not necessarily in the secondary, because I think Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos, Kevin King, Jair Alexander, that's your, that's your unit. And then mix in Chan, and Sullivan, depending on the package and the look. That, that's, that's your ideal defense. Now, if you absorb injuries, okay, then we can talk about some of these young guys. I, I like Raven Green like Will Redmond, but I I don't want to spend time talking about them because they're only going to play in the case of injury, which is obviously much less than ideal. The future of the linebacking core is what I want to talk about because there are a couple of young dudes, unproven dudes, who are contributors and who are going to be expected to contribute, not just in the case of injury, but right from the jump so far this season. guy like Ty Summers, who is a seventh-round pick. Kamal Martin, who's not healthy yet, but hopefully soon, and he'll hopefully be back because I want to see him play. And I want to see him be a part of this linebacking core as well. He was a fifth-round pick this last year. And undrafted free agent Chris Barnes, who has been, according to Pro Football Focus, their grade has him better than all other rookie linebackers, including Kenneth Murray with the Chargers, who I really wanted the Packers to get, and Patrick Queen with the Ravens, who I really wanted the Packers to get. In fact, I thought the Packers were going to take Patrick Queen when they traded up. And then, of course, they took Jordan Love, and, you know, the the (laughs) the world was never the same. Chris Barnes? Ty Summers? Kamal Martin, there's not a single first or second day pick in that group. But yet that appears to be the future of their linebacking core alongside Christian Kirksey, who's injured right now, to the surprise of absolutely no one. Say what you want about Blake Martinez, but at least he stayed healthy. You know, Matt LaFleur was asked about young players in the secondary. I'd much rather talk about young players in the linebacking core. I don't know if Ty Summers is going to be their linebacker of the future. I don't know if Kamal Martin is. I haven't seen him play yet. But Chris Barnes has certainly showed us some really promising things. And that's exciting. He's been graded by Pro Football Focus better than any of his colleagues in this rookie class, including ones that were taken in the top 30, Patrick Queen and Kenneth Murray. Both players, I'm sure Brian Gutekinds, UWL guy, and, and the Green Bay Packers would love to have. So that was a promising, uh, a, a promising statistic and a promising bit of data coming out of Monday night's game. And although Matt LaFleur didn't directly hit it, it's something I wanted to bring up. Uh, he was also asked about Zadarius Smith because Zadarius Smith told media Monday night after the game that Matt LaFleur challenged him last week to step up and make some plays. And Matt LaFleur was asked about that. This was his response.
0: Uh, yeah, it's just, you know, you always want to stay connected to your players, especially your leaders, and, and uh, your captain on the defense. And I think that he, he gets voted that for a reason. And it's not only just because he's a great player and he produces for us, but, uh, you know, he's, he's an inspiring player, uh, inspiring person, and he brings a lot of juice and energy. And in order for us to perform at our best as a whole as a whole defense Uh, he's he's got to be playing at a high level and it's awesome to see him respond and and the effort that he played with and uh, obviously the production speaks for itself.
2: Zadarius Smith was an integral part of the Packers game plan and the Packers defensive success on Monday night because Matt Ryan is a statue he ain't going anywhere he can't run very fast he can't throw on the run if you get him off his mark it's essentially a throwaway. Maybe you have a shot at a turnover, which Chris Barnes almost came up with that interception. It almost, you know, it's tipped up into the air and it ended up falling into the hands of a wide receiver. But Matt Ryan, you get him off his spot and you have essentially won that play. Zedarius Smith is going to play a really important role for this team throughout the regular season this year because the vast majority of quarterbacks that they'll play aren't mobile. They're statues. Kirk Cousins twice. Drew Brees, who they already played once, Matt Ryan, who they just, you know, matched up with on Monday night, Tom Brady, who is the next quarterback that they'll play a week from Sunday after their bye week, Philip Rivers, Nick Foles, twice, assuming they don't go back to Mitch Trubisky, Jimmy G isn't particularly mobile, and Teddy Bridgewater is a very stationary quarterback as well. The way I count it, 10 of the 16 quarterbacks, assuming nobody gets injured, that they'll match up with this year are statues, they're not mobile. So if Zadarius Smith can get into the backfield and wreak havoc, he doesn't even necessarily need to get sacks. If you can get Tom Brady off his mark, you have won that play. If you can get Phillip Rivers off, off the mark, I mean, it's open season downfield for interceptions. Zedaria Smith, in 10 out of the 16 games, is going to be so important to getting immobile quarterbacks off their mark and force them to throw from uncomfortable platforms, force them to, to run, which none of those guys can do. Kirk Cousins isn't running anywhere. Matt Ryan, his feet look like cinder blocks on Monday night. Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, Nick Foles, those guys aren't going anywhere. If Darius Smith can just get in the backfield, get in their face, that's a win. And he's going to play a huge role this season simply because of the quarterbacks that the Packers are going to be matched up uh, against. The next set of questions that Matt LaFleur faced was about interceptions. And Aaron Rodgers, knock on wood, lack of interceptions through the first four games. Now, <laughs> Rob Reichel asked a question that made me laugh, and this exchange cracked me up. Rob Reichel asked Matt LaFleur if Aaron Rodgers can go a full 16 games an entire season without an interception. Now, naturally, Matt LaFleur really can't say anything because you don't want to jinx it. But, I mean, it, yeah, it's going to be really difficult to go an entire season without an interception because there's so much more that goes into it. Luck, you know, even officiating at times, you get a bad break on a missed call, and, and you know, that's an interception. That's why we've started to value turnover-worthy plays more so than turnovers themselves. As you can expect, Matt LaFleur didn't have a, a whole lot to say, and Rob Reichel quickly said, well, okay, well,
0: can I ask a follow-up really quick if you're not going to answer that question? I think, Rob, we're going to take that one play at a time. Matt, can I follow up? Sure. Sure. <laughs> I mean,
2: he's obviously sure. remarkably gifted and, and avoids trouble
1: for the most part, but do you need an element of good luck as well for, for that to happen, is, you know, in addition to him just being the talent that he is?
0: Yeah, we have complete confidence that he's going to go out there and play at a high level every time he touches the field, and he makes great decisions. You know what? I, I don't even that. need to hear
2: that. I don't even need to hear the rest of his answer. What What is Rob? And I'm not hating on Rob Reichel here because I like reading his work. What is Rob Reichel expecting Matt Lafleur to say? You first ask him if Aaron Rodgers can go a full 16 games without a turnover. Naturally, Matt Lafleur is not going to answer that because one, he doesn't want to jinx it, and two, I. Obviously, there's a lot of luck that goes into it. So what is that follow-up? Well, is there luck that goes into it? Of course there is. What are you trying to ask? Like, I, I don't even need to listen to the rest of the 40 seconds of that answer. It's, there's nothing valuable there. However, Jason Wilde asked an interesting follow-up about Matt LaFleur's coaching style because Jason Wilde astutely pointed out that Matt LaFleur's previous teams at different spots in college and in different uh, positions that Matt LaFleur has held as a coach all of his previous teams have had few turnovers as well. So Jason Wilde, I think, as an astute follow-up, asked Matt LaFleur if, if this is something deliberate that he does through his coaching, something that he values and makes a part of his program. This, I thought, was worthwhile.
0: You know, I think guys are pretty mindful of it. I think certainly there there is a fine line when you talk about it because you still want your quarterback to, to be aggressive, especially in the pass game down the field, and he's shown that. So that that is awesome when, when you have a guy that knows when... To cut it loose, and we certainly have that in Aaron. Um, but it, it, it's it's it takes everybody, and we talk about the offensive lineman or, or anybody that's blocking, whether it's in the pass game or run game, just straining for for their teammates, um, you know, to hold on to blocks a little bit longer, so that you know our quarterback could potentially hold on to the ball a little bit longer, or maybe our runners are able to get through to the second level, but I mean, it takes every everyone um, being mindful of that ball security. Obviously, anybody that touches the ball has has got to hold that ball high and tight. Especially when last night we we're playing a, gr- a great defense like the Atlanta Falcons in terms of their ability to to go after and um, attack the football. They're they're one of the better teams I've seen at just you you could see it repeatedly on, on film. Um, just how mindful they are on on the defensive side of trying to punch and rake at the football. So our guys take it to heart, and they've they've done an outstanding job with that.
2: Now, Matt LaFleur covered a lot of ground there. The point is, though, and Jason Wilde's question was, hey, Matt, is there something deliberate that you do as a part of your coaching style and your program that specifically puts an emphasis on limiting turnovers, more so than, say, another coach would. Mike McCarthy, uh, Matt Nagy, Matt Patricia, fill in the blank. Now, Matt LaFleur kind of got in the weeds there, but I think we got to give Matt LaFleur some credit. Because last year, another example of this, the Packers stayed really healthy. Last year, the Packers were like uncomfortably healthy. like It felt wrong. like It felt like maybe the team made a deal with the devil because the Packers in recent history have been so banged up, even dating back to the Super Bowl, that like it just felt weird last year. Like Did the Packers get that lucky? What changed? I, I think in the same way that the Packers are now avoiding turnovers, it, yeah, some of it's luck. And previously, we attributed these variables to luck, right? Health, turnovers, right? You got to get lucky. You got to have the ball bounce your way. It's got to be your year. Blah, 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 wait wait, wait a minute. Luck is a first-order term. And Matt LaFleur is seemingly setting the table for good luck, right? Matt LaFleur, through every spot, in the way that he organizes practices, in the way that he sets up his practices, it seems health is a priority over everything else. When he came in and established his program, in comparison to Mike McCarthy, that's something that stood out lots of days off veteran days rest, as little contact as possible. He was deliberately creating a program and a system that valued health over just about everything else. And I don't think it's a coincidence Then in that following season, the Packers are healthier than they've been in years. Some of it is luck, yes. But I think you got to look behind the scenes and understand that Matt LaFleur, it's it's a deliberate effort to keep his team healthy in a way that maybe Mike McCarthy didn't put forward that deliberate effort. He valued other things. Maybe we want a little bit more contact. We don't want to take days off. And I think turnovers is another example. Yeah, I mean, you have to have the ball bounce your way and you have to have players that are conscious of it and you need to be smart and lucky and all that. But I think we need to give Matt LaFleur a little bit of credit because some things can be attributed to luck, but you can't be this lucky, right? Through four games, knock on wood, they still won't have a turnover. That is luck and it is coaching. Luck is a first order term. So you can set the table and, and set yourself up in position to be lucky, right? That was what the Patriots did for years. It's like, oh, their division stinks again. Oh, they got the, the fortune of this whistle. Oh, they, th- this dude happened to be offsides at this point. Okay, sure, the Patriots got lucky a lot, but they also put themselves in position to get lucky. And I think Matt LaFleur is doing that with turnovers, and I think last year we saw it with health as well. Sure, the Packers got lucky, and they, they didn't sustain a lot of injuries, but I think part of that was by design. And we got to give Matt LaFleur his credit. We got to give him his due. Not trying to be a, a, a green and gold glasses over-the-top Packer fan. I'm just saying the evidence is there, right? You just got to look at the evidence. And I think Matt LaFleur maybe values things like health and like lack of turnovers in a way that maybe previous coaches or other coaches, not even trying to pick on Mike McCarthy, maybe Matt LaFleur values these things in ways that other coaches don't. Let's not attribute it all to luck. Let's give Matt LaFleur Lef- his credit here. Let's give him his due. Okay, let's take a break. We'll come back, and I want to preview Thursday Night Football a little bit. I think the Bears are frauds. I don't think they're any good. I don't think Nick Foles is any good. They should have signed Cam Newton. That being said, I, why do I feel weirdly tempted to think that the Bears might actually be competitive in this game tonight. I'll explain what I mean coming up next. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show coming up in a few minutes. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. You can follow me on Twitter at Wisco Grant. You can text the show 608-796-2558. I hope you're having a good night. Thanks for tuning in, even if it's just for a couple of minutes. We're going to talk Packers, talk about Thursday night football, the Bears and the, I almost said Patriots, Tom Brady's team, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers instead. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, and talk about the baseball playoffs as well coming up after five o'clock. But right now, one of my favorite guests, one of the first guests I ever had on the show when it started back in 2018, that is uh, our good friend Zach Heilprin. From the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network, Zach. I guess I'm on in in your city now, um, which is interesting. I kind of feel like I'm the guest, even though I'm you know talking to you on my <laughs> show.
1: Yeah, maybe I don't know. Welcome to Madison, Grant.
2: Yeah, thank. It, it feels like the big time. I'm I'm a little bit stressed, but I'm glad to have you here. Um, let, let's start with Jack Cohen, I guess. Let's talk about the quarterback situation. Now, I don't, I haven't read anything that indicates this is season ending. Um, is this an injury that he can possibly come back from this year? Because that makes things a little bit more interesting. I can't imagine that Paul Christ has given you too much to work with but but what do we know about a timetable? Yeah,
1: the timetable's kind of up in the air. I don't believe it's season ending so he'll be back at some point but uh he was already actually back at practice uh walking around not not walking around but watching practice today and so he's uh he's feeling better. I mean he had surgery on Tuesday and he's up at practice by Thursday so uh, I don't think it's season-ending, but we don't know the exact timetable as it. They are planning on, and they are moving towards uh, Graham Mertz starting against Illinois in two weeks. So we know it's going to be probably at least that long, and I guess we'll find out how long it's truly going to be whenever he does come back. They probably won't be too uh, uh, loose with that information.
2: Yeah, Paul Crist isn't typically too loose with any information, as I'm sure you know, you're know. you well aware. No. As somebody who has to interview Paul Crist, um, I, I know that Graham Mertz uh ranking wise you know hype wise is the best quarterback Wisconsin has ever had you know we'll see how it plays out on the field nothing is is guaranteed you know four star five star uh but he's certainly the most exciting quarterback since Russell Wilson what specifically makes him so good are there any specific skills or traits that can that you can describe that really set him apart from say you know any run of the mill Wisconsin quarterback we've had in the last decade well he's the most physically talented guy since
1: Russell Wilson. So you put that at the top, right? Like it's it's the physical ability, the ability to throw the ball. He's got a great deep ball, very very accurate. He's got good feet. Um, He's not going to run. He's not going to run on you too much. But he's got the ability to extend plays. So he has the physical talent, more physical talent than any other quarterback they've had since Russ Wilson. That that is that's the difference between him and some run of the mill guy. Mm -hmm. He's he's a different player when it comes to that. What has changed here in this last? year and a half since he got on campus. He's been on campus since January of 2019, went through spring ball, and then went through fall camp last year. Didn't get spring ball this year, obviously, but this is his second fall camp. It's the mental aspect of it. And he has spent a ton of time with John Budmeyer in the film room, you know, and trying because here's the thing about being, you know, you can be as locked in with the playbook and all that kind of stuff, but you actually have to then go through it on the field. And he hasn't had nearly as many reps as they would probably like to have had gotten for him, you know, spring ball and then a regular fall camp. Mm-hmm. But he is—he is more mentally ready to go now than he was at this time last year. And I think, you know, that certainly has to make them feel good about it because physically, there are no question marks with him.
2: Yeah, it's—and I read your piece for the Sports Zone Network just—I think—20 minutes before the show started. It's a lot of mental preparation, reading defenses, that kind of thing. The thing, you know, the the aspects that only come with with time and with preparation and coaching. Uh, Zach Heilprin yep. of the Wisconsin Sports Network joining us on the Wisco Sports Show. So, Zach, this is, uh, this is real deal uh, big boy media stuff here. I have a source on the team, which is an anonymous source, mm-hmm. and I was able yeah. to extract some information today that was reluctantly given to me. It's sensitive. This is going to blow up. This is no, uh, going to be uh, aggregated by everybody who's listening. Uh, I asked him sure. about Graham Mertz, and I was like, hey, can you tell us, can you tell me anything? Uh, and the quote, and I quote exactly, his deep ball looks good. Uh, which is <laughs> which blew me away. Like, could this offense yeah. actually see some more deep shots this year? Like, that's exciting. That could be fun. That blew you away. Well, yeah, that's uh, you know, that I'm that new, new to too? I'm new to the scoop business, Zach. I got to take okay, what I can get right. here. I'm just getting started. Sure. Can't believe it. In, can't believe it. In, uh, hashtag breaking that. Well, uh, I might. Well, I might. The, I, I wanted to account. save it and break it on the air with you. You know, I, I thought oh, that would okay. be a fun thing to do that's together.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He does. He does have a really nice deep ball. I think you know, Jack Cone. Jack Cone threw. Uh, a bunch of passes down the field last year. The fact that it was quintes Cephus on the other other end of those uh, certainly probably made it look a little bit better. Um, that that to me is going to be the biggest challenge for Graham, uh, for Graham is to find a guy that uh, he trusts down the field. And and you know Danny Davis did that as a true freshman. Uh, caught a lot of contested one on one balls down the field, but he doesn't. He has not done that the last couple of years. So, uh, but Graham does. Uh, I, I'm, I was actually going through. Uh, yesterday the day before going through tweets from from last fall uh that i had written about you know fall camp just to kind of get remind myself of exactly you know what we saw from him and uh one of them that popped up was just a an amazing deep ball that went to aj abbott for a long long touchdown and it could not have been thrown better there were there were probably some not so great throws in the mix there as well but um, his deep ball is certainly a big part of his game we saw that in high school and I'm sure we'll see it this year
2: yeah I'm excited maybe this offense will look a little bit different I mean I, I think a good offense is one that's tailored to the quarterback and to the you know position players that you have so hopefully Wisconsin does take advantage of of the skill sets that Graham Mertz can provide something that I've heard a lot and, and I read from Ben Wargle it was yesterday or the day before that Paul Crist is a very very loyal coach now I I just know football coaches to be notoriously stubborn. Now, maybe loyal and, and stubborn go hand-in-hand, hand, but I, the way I read it is maybe Mert starts some games, but knowing the way Paul Christ is, he could eventually go back to Cone later in the year. Now, obviously, performance and plays is, is going to factor into that decision, but is that something that you could see? Because I think that would be much to the chagrin of, of Badger fans.
1: I'm not going to... Um... I'm not going to critique anybody else in, sure. in the way that they think about it. I would, just, I would just say that 2016 is probably something good to look at and say, you know, Bart Houston started the game, started the season, started the first two games, and then Alex Hornbrick started and they started using both of them. Like, Paul's going to play the best guy that's there. Mm-hmm. That, that's just the way it's going to be. It's, it's not about it, – to me, it's, it's not about loyalty. It's about the person that gives them the best chance to win and if that's going to be Graham – They'll go with Graham, if it's Jack, we'll go with Jack, and, you know, we'll see. Again, the the challenges that Graham faces compared to what Jack faced last year are just completely different and much more challenging, in my opinion, because you don't have Quintess Divas, you don't have Jonathan Taylor, you're playing right in, you're, you're going straight from uh, fall camp into Big Ten play. Like, these are all, and, and, you know, just no spring ball, like, these are all challenges that Jack did not have to deal with last year, that Graham is having to deal with, and, um, it's probably going to lead to some, uh, some inconsistent play. And I don't, like, I'm not saying it wouldn't be that way with Jack either. Like, mm-hmm. Jack would be facing those same things this year, but just trying to base it on what we've seen from, what we see from Graham this year based on what we saw from Jack last year it's probably not a fair comparison. But again, it is, uh, Chris loyal? I think Chris is going to play the guys that give them the best chance. We've seen them do that along the offensive line. We've seen them do that at wide receiver. We've seen them do it at running back. Like, he's, he does, I, he may be a little guy, but mm-hmm. I don't think if, I don't think he's going to go back to Jack if Graham's playing amazing.
2: Yeah, so so it's about performance, which I I that's a big like ninety percent of it is going to be performance based, right? If Graham is is playing too good to take out, you know, then obviously that's a factor. But I didn't know if you you know have had experience with Paul Chris that would you know give you some insight into maybe how he would handle this. But twenty sixteen is an awesome example, like you said, Zach Heilprin of the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Uh, last question for you: The Badgers obviously graduated some pretty important you know offensive pieces between Jonathan Taylor and Quintez Cephas, but, like, they lost A.J. Taylor, too, and I I don't know if we can underestimate the value of a slot receiver, especially one like A.J. Taylor. They still have Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor. What players can you point out and can you identify that maybe we should be watching come week one to be big players in this offense? And I know Graham Mertz went on a long rant today talking about all the weapons, Mm -hmm. and he loves everybody, but by your estimation, you know, week one, which players do you think are going to step up and and fill the, the void that, you know, Taylor and Cephas left behind?
1: Well, and this would be obviously a, a total guess on my part, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, or maybe an informed guess just based on what we've heard from guys because I haven't seen a practice since last August, so uh, we didn't get to see any spring ball, you know, because there wasn't, and we haven't been in any of these camps, so it'd be it's it's got to be totally going by what they said, and you know, yeah, Danny Davis and Kendra Pryor are those starters at, at wide receiver. You have a couple other seniors, and Adam Crumholtz and Jack Dunn as uh, you know, my, I think guys that are more. Of, probably in the blocking, uh, perhaps more than than receiving uh, and uh, using them in different ways that way. Uh, But some of the young guys, A.J. Abbott, Taj Mustafa, and then the guy that everyone has talked about this camp so far is Chimre Dike. He's a true freshman out of Waukesha. Graham Mertz talked about him, but so did the other two quarterbacks, and they all think he's going to be great. Um, Apparently coming along pretty quickly, UW put out a little video of him uh, catching a, a back shoulder throw from from Mertz the other day it was pretty impressive. So, I think that at wide receiver would probably be you know that, those five guys uh, along with the other two uh, walk on seniors that uh, are going to going to see time. And then you know at tight end too with Jake Ferguson, we've heard from uh, a, a bunch of people that this is the best he's ever looked. Okay. Uh, this this uh, this camp. That's the best he's ever looked. And then they have another interesting guy in, in Jalen Franklin, who came over from outside linebacker, who's athletic as heck. Apparently, a really natural pass catcher. Needs some work on his routes, but uh, he's a guy that I think people will be hearing from if not this year, if not early this year, perhaps by later this year, and certainly next year. And then at runback, back. We we kind of talked about it before, but mm-hmm. Eric Grossick, Nakia Watson, Isaac Grendo. Those are the three guys that you'll probably see week one, and maybe we'll see. Uh, four-star Jalen Berger or Julius Davis a little bit later on, but they have playmakers, but it's guys that are unproven uh, for the most part. Kendrick Pryor and Danny Davis have made a ton of plays. Garrett groschick has made some plays, but for the most part, and Jake Ferguson's made some plays, but for the most part, it's uh, it, they're going to need some of these other guys to step up into into bigger playmaking roles.
2: Well, it sounds like they have options, which is exciting, right? That they have options to try out come week one, even with a lack of yep. practice sure. and, and spring ball. So I'm, I'm sure it will evolve and change as we go. But it's ex- it's going to be exciting to see all these different faces. You, you know, you miss Cephas and you miss Taylor, but it's going to be exciting to see some of these new guys get a chance and, and see what they do with it. Zach, I appreciate you so much. Always. Your insight on the Wisconsin Badgers. And I'm very excited to, uh, to be broadcasting and, and be annoying to you every single night and not just every sure. couple of weeks when I have you on. Thanks again, man. For sure. Thanks, Grant. Yeah, that's Zach uh, Hilprin of the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Always appreciate his insight.